My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you, and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. This is Ryan Peterson, and you are listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. We should read our Bible as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time. Or is it? It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. And the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. More bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. Let's back it up here. I I love the intro to your show because it's exactly right. There's the nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always say in the show, you got to dig it. Dig it. Show us your nuggets. God, our creator, lies outside of time, space, and matter. No, I feel like God's be like, hello, McFly. You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret societies think that they are the descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't, isn't this exciting? I mean, you read it, it's like, wow. The Nephilology Roundtable. But these angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not collect $200. You're out of the game. Dirty hands means clean theology. Can you dig it? What's going on, all my local guys and gals? And those long-distance pals? We're back. Back in the saddle again. How you guys been doing? Been doing good. It sounded real convincing. I'm tired. A little wired. Tired and wired. Tired and wired. How about that, you, w- that was off the gone in 60 seconds. Oh, okay. 
at the end. I believe you. After he steals all the cars. I believe you. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Watch the Go There For Conference episode for the full story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. How about you, Justin? What's new? It's just my schedules, man, at work. Eight hours for two weeks and three weeks, and then 12 hours for two or three weeks, and then four 12s. And three, nah, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about the new show going on, though. Oh, yeah. it's uh, I finally got the RSS feed up. Uh, we'll start launching the shows in the next, I don't know, I'd say within the next four weeks. I've had uh, several good guests and uh, just some really good uh topics and discussions going on i'm really excited about uh what's going to go on i released the what, what do you want to call it the, the intro snip for on the rss feed of Derek gilbert and his you know very savory voice in the distance looms a mystical mountain it was just beautiful Derek's voice is amazing yeah but no, look look forward to a couple of uh, things coming up on that. That's the next thing, and then shortly thereafter, um, the mustard seed will start up as well, and we'll start getting some shows from them as well. So you're you're gonna get treated to every different angle that we can hit you with. So get excited. But uh, before we get into it today, okay, everybody, here's my son Bruce. He's gonna give us a prayer. The good and God has created heavens and the earth. Genesis is one one. Thank you for our food and help us have a good day tomorrow. And help us have a good sleep tonight. And Jesus low of the earth. He gave his one only son. Whoever believes in him shall not die and have eternal life. Boom. Boom. Well, today we're going to jump into a different topic, and this is going to end up spreading out over a few episodes. Um, this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, but I think it's something that everybody needs to be more aware of. Um, some people are very in this space, and some people need, I think, to dive into it a little bit deeper. But we're going to talk a little bit about the components and what is the veil. And as far as from my standpoint... Um, you know, growing up, I always thought of the veil as, you know, they talk about the thinning of the veil at certain, you know, pagan holidays and things of this nature, or, you know, that veil between the spiritual and the, the, um, physical realm and, and how different that is that, that separation that we have. So I, I don't know for, for you, Ben, what do you think of when somebody says the veil? When I, when I think about the veil, I'm thinking more like in the temple, the veil that separated the holy from holies from the other part of the temple. Like the one that was split from top to bottom, from top to bottom. Justin, how about you? Yeah. I, th I, I think about the, uh, the physical and, and the spiritual side, you know, there's a, uh, you know, spiritual warfare going on amongst us, and it's, we're just, you know, basically we got our our blinders on, and we can't see that because of a, a veil or, or some something, you know, preventing us from seeing that. And so, yeah, I guess I see, you know, both ends of that spectrum. So today we're going to start out, and the, we're going to get to we're going to hit a lot of different points throughout this little, for lack of a better word, mini series, but. We're going to hit a lot of different points in this, but I want to start out with 
faith like a child and, and what that means. And, and stick with us here. Watch it come full circle. Just, just give us a minute here. But watch how this kind of comes around and we see how, how amazing God works. And we're going to get to all the other ideas. We're going to get to Ben's idea when we talk about the veil of the temple. We're going to get to the, the splitting, that supernatural through the physical world, like the differences and the separation. We're going to get into that. And it's, it's, there's a lot more biblically than I think most people realize. And there's a lot that we can have as far as, as present day application. And there's so many things that, you know, we've talked about some of our supernatural experiences that we've each had ourselves. And you, you kind of see that veil being pierced in certain ways. So as we go along, we're going to hit on a lot of different uh, angles on this. But the first way that, that I want to look at this is faith like a child or through the eyes of a child. And we got to think about it like this is if we look through the Bible, we, we always see that God refers to us as his children, right? We're always God's children. But why? I mean, he created us. But there's that paternal bond that you see from God. There's always this paternal the bond. And, and we call him, you know, when we pray, our father who art, who art in heaven. He is our father in heaven. And our ignorance, too, of, uh, of us being finite beings trying to understand, you know, uh, an infinite God. You know, we, you know, ch- children are innocent, but they're also, you know, just ignorant. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of one way I see it. Well, and you can look at it in that way. You can look at I mean, there's a there's so many ways that we're going to attack this from. But um, in probably the most broad sense, we can look at if we go to Genesis 2:24, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife and thus should become one flesh. Think about this in the fact that Jesus is the son of the father. The church is his bride, right? We get married, you know, we're married to Christ in our faith. We become basically the, the daughter-in-law. We're his family that way, right away off the bat. You see that we see that relationship that we are one of his children right away. And that at that point, you know, our, his spirit lives inside of us and we should reflect that how we live anyway. We're going to keep on passing through that. But if we go to um, a few other verses that talk, and I mean, we could go through this for days. There's so many verses that talk about how we are as kids or as children. You know, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So we're emulating Jesus. We're emulating that to be his son in heaven. Does that make sense? Are we on the same page? All right. I'm just making sure. (laughs) Sometimes you guys look at me like I have three heads, so I just I'm trying to make sure. Then we go trying to say we're cross eyed. No, I he don't realize it, but it's the sheen off his forehead. Off his forehead where he has no hair. (laughs) It is shining. And and it kinda messes with our vision. So that's that's the look. You cannot go, and, go one episode <laughs> without talking about his bald head. He's going to have a complex, man. He's going to come here with a toupee one day. No, He's I don't have, have a complex. Get over it. <laughs> I have a bald head. It just is what it is. <laughs> going back a little bit to what we said a minute ago. Back it up. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray like this. Our Father, how would be your name? I'm sorry. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus even taught us to pray. 
talking to our Father in heaven. So we have to see we are his children. That's really important. So going along this a little bit further, why does he want us to be like children? You know, you think about this. We, we, we always, he says in multiple verses about how we have to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child. So look at Matthew <laughs> 1125. Look at a math. Look at Matthew 1125. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. If we go into Matthew 18, at that time, the disciples came up to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling a child to himself, he had him stand in their midst and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn around and become like young children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this person is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child such as this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him that a large millstone be hung on his neck and he be drowned in the depths of the sea. And if I go a little further down, this is in the same, he's going through parables, but he's still talking about children. He says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven constantly see the face of my father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a certain man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered away? And if he happens to find it, truly I say to you that he rejoices over it more than the 99 that did not wander away. In the same way, it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So we're seeing this as we go along that God has a special place for children. He, he, he wants us to emulate these children, but why? Like, what's the point? What, where are we heading? Why, is, why would, first of all, we must be like these children to enter heaven. He calls us his children constantly. We see it throughout scripture. And he wants us. We need to be in that mindset like a child. Well, just like that, you know, for the country fans out there you remember that song a few years ago it was real popular uh, i've been watching you he wants us to be like children because we emulate and imitate our father you know you know you're, oh, you're not a country fan ben you probably know the song i'm referring to i know what you're talking you. about but i can't think of the song yeah but yeah it's yeah little yeah. boys i want to i want to be like you grow yeah. up be like you yeah kinda. somebody yeah he wants to grow up and Hold mom's hand, be like fix some things. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. He yeah, he uh, uttered a four-letter word. He said he was uh, starts off. He's riding his truck down the road, and he said, uh, "Riding through the town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat." Yeah, and then uh, knowing knowing he couldn't have the toy till the nuggets were gone, he said, and then a green green light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. He said, "It's." Uh, Fries went flying, and his orange drink covered his lap, and he, he said a four-letter word, and he asked him, you know, where'd you hear that at? He's like, from you, Dad. Yeah, from you. I've been watching you. I want to be just like you. Yep. <laughs> and it's funny because my boys are the same way. Yep. Bruce, what do you want to do? I want to be like you, Daddy, big and strong. He must have never seen me lift anything. <laughs> 
Your boys say that too. I want to be like Ben, big and strong. <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> he picked up Daddy and took off running with him one time. Yeah, you did. You didn't run real far though. <laughs> well, I was afraid I'd hurt you. Oh, that's what it was. No, you're right though. But that's a good. I mean, that's a really solid point. You look. It says right there that we are not to lead one of those children away. We're not to lead them astray. It'd be better if there was a millstone around our neck and we were drowned in the sea than we lead one of the children away from God. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty damning uh, uh, piece of scripture right there. That, I it, mean, it, it, also, it also t- makes you double-check yourself. You know, am I teaching my kids the right way? Exactly. And that's, you know... Because they are, they're, when they're smaller, that's that's when you can mold them to the person they need to grow up to be. The younger they are, the easier they are to, to mold. We talked about that, in that when we talked about discipline and the, and the forms of discipline when, when, and the whoopings. Whoop them. The whoopings. But, the, but in all honesty, that's, it's such an important thing. It's, it, we, you see that. If we act and we, we portray ourselves as, as Jesus would, that's going to have a positive impact on our kids. It's going to have a positive impact on everybody around us, but on our kids. And that's indirectly kind of where this is going when we look back and saying, you know, it, do not lead one of these children astray. So just that's an important point. I think we can we talked about it before that we can take a piece of scripture and we can always say, okay, that this is, we can see this, you know, at least two different meanings and everything. When we talked about that with Heiser, mostly talking about the parables, but I think you can take that. And this is a parable, but you can take that from uh, a lot of different things in scripture because there's a meaning that was meant to the people at that time that it was written to, but you can find that practical application for your life as well. And I think that's really important. We're not just reading a bedtime story. We're pulling something out of the Bible that we're supposed to learn something from. God's trying to talk to us through this, and we have to listen. And that's so important. So important. But it's it, it, that exact thing. So when you uh, apply that to your life about how you're raising your kids, that's how God wants us to read the Bible and pull things from the Bible and see that and, and how he speaks to you and how he speaks to Justin, how he speaks to me. If we're not listening, if we're not reading his word and listening, we'll never hear those things. So, important point. Um, so, I want to kind of take us down a little path here. And some of this is a little bit my idea, but I'll, I'll show you scripturally where this kind of comes from. And I want you guys, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm just bouncing this off you. Yeah? We're kind of going forward here. And we've talked a little bit about this before. But I think it's important to look at this in this context. When, we, when we're born, you know, we're born with a sinful nature. You know, we're, we've been sinful ever since, uh, you know, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Since then, there's been sin in the world. There's always, you know, there's sin ever since. So we're born with that sinful nature. But when a child's born... A child has less volitional sin, so they haven't willfully sinned. And we can look at a couple of verses on this, and uh, Isaiah seven fifteen and 16. And going into this, we talked a little bit about this before, that this kind of plays into the idea of the age of absolution or the age of um, accountability. accountability. So, you know, when you're 
a year old, you don't understand what you're doing. You know, you throw a plate on the ground. You don't realize, oh, you broke a plate. You threw it on the ground because you were mad. You don't realize. You don't have the concept. The concept of, of what sin. you're, Of what you've done. So Isaiah 15 or 7, 15 and 16, this is talking about Jesus when he's born. Isaiah is an amazing book. We've talked about it before. That's one we have to dive into eventually because there is just so much prophetic um, stuff. And so much has come to fruition already. It's already happened. So you see how much truth is in there and how much God used Isaiah to really, especially talk about the birth of Jesus and so many different things. But he's talking about Jesus. He says, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse good and or when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So you see, Jesus, even as a child, <laughs> did not know at one point to choose what, what, to be able to refuse evil and choose good. This is talking about our Lord and Savior as a child talking about that volitional sin that he hasn't willfully sinned at that point. So when children haven't gone through that point, and this is where we've talked about abortion before, and I guarantee you every single aborted baby is in heaven. I guarantee you, and I hope that brings solace to somebody out there. I hope it does. But I guarantee you that every aborted baby is in heaven. Every baby that was born during delivery, every stillborn, every one of those children's in heaven right now. There's no doubt in my mind for a few reasons for that verse. But also, if you look at Second uh, Samuel 12, 22 and 23, this is King David. He has a baby and the baby is really sick, right? Baby dies and the servants are actually scared to tell him. Because they're scared he's going to go off that. He's been, he's been mourning. He's been in sackcloth. He's been praying. And they're terrified to tell him. They don't want to be beheaded they, either. Yeah, they're worried something bad's going to yeah. happen to them if they say it. Don't King kill David, the messenger. <laughs> King David overhears them. Right. And says, has my child died? They're like, yeah. And he goes back to his room, takes, takes a bath, shower, cleans up, puts his clothes on, goes back to eating. You think he said it like that? Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I should say this. <laughs> so they asked him, you know, how can you do this? He said, well, the child is still alive. I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that my child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. That child didn't know. That child didn't have... Right, yeah. He's not at that point in his life where he can choose and say, oh, I, I choose Jesus. Well, Jesus at the time, but I choose God. I'm following the one true God. He's not at that age yet. It's a baby. That baby's in heaven because there's less volitional sin. He didn't have the ability to choose right or wrong at that time. So you see that there's less separation from God at that point in their life. You see that God has a special place in his heart for children. And that's exactly why we need to revert to that childlike self to have that faith and, uh, in Jesus and have that 
unquestionable faith. You know, as far as that volitional sin and, and the age of accountability, absolution, however you want to say it, um, I don't know when that changes in your life. I think that's different, varied on everybody. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't think, think it would number. be on the person. I think it would. Because well, if you have someone who's, say, a little mentally handicapped, mm -hmm. it might be longer. Or it might not even ever come. It, yeah, depending on how bad they are, yeah. it might never come, mm -hmm. you know. So so I think that definitely has to do with each person's the, journey. Yeah, you, you know, you teaching your children and and them – I mean, they're obviously going to know, I think, I think it's a pretty young age, you know, like two or three, probably. I don't because know. Because you tell I... the kid no, and he looks at you and does it anyways. He chose to to do it. But when you're like a just an infant, something like that, I think that's where, you know, See, I, that's I, my I opinion. I wouldn't want to put a number to it, but if I had to. You know, my line of thinking would probably be 10, 12, 14. Because, yeah, you do know right from wrong up until that point. But it's like your frontal lobe truly hasn't. I mean, it, it, it's still developed until your 20s. But I'm not making a case for that. But what I'm getting at is, yeah, you know right from wrong. But it's like your pros and cons and consequences and all that kind of you know, manifestations in your mind and working things out is is just not there at that age. You know it's wrong, but you can't recognize the consequence of yeah, doing it. Or wrong. why it's wrong right. or why you shouldn't be right. doing it. You know everybody tells you you shouldn't, but you personally don't know why you are told not to do it, you know, if that makes sense. but Well, this brings in, and this brings in a little bit of that stuff. We talked with Mark Cooper, though, when you talk about baptism. And some... Some, you know, denominations believing that you shouldn't get baptized until you can make that choice. So a lot of Baptist churches, you're not allowed to get baptized until you're 10, 12 years old because you have to be able to understand the choice you're making. Do I believe that's right or wrong? Well, I mean, I could see not that, me too, to say. because, I mean, it goes to this, and it, this is my opinion, you know, say. Say you're you're we're all kids, you know. Say we're six, seven, eight years old, whatever, and we're we're at at vacation Bible school or we're at camp or whatever, and we see our buddy, you know, he says, "Yeah, I want to be saved," so we don't want to be left out. So we raise our hands too, even though we have no idea, possibly. Oh, that happened to me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So so I. I can kind of see where you're where you're going with that. Well, I'll told you this before, and we talked about it then, is that I believe 100% that a lot of people who have been baptized will not be saved, and a lot of people who will be saved haven't been baptized. Right. Well, yeah, we had a whole thing about baptism. We did. But, yeah, I, I think it's like my stepdad, he said one time, he said, well, if they just, you know, they say, say Bobby— bill whatever oh bobby goes to church and he's he's living life you know like you know like he should trying to and then next thing you know he's off and becomes a serial killer right the way he, he's like 
was he playing that he was saved or was he ever saved to begin with? Because he went to, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, cause everybody has their, you know, say drinking, for instance, you know, I'm a drunk. I come to know the Lord. Then I fall off the bandwagon, but it's, it's one of them. I have no idea where I was going with this, but it was, it's, it's one of them, you know, once saved, always saved. And I, I believe that's true. But the question is, were you, were you truly saved when you were eight years old or are you just assuming that you're saved, but you're not living that life or wanting, you know, trying, I mean, obviously you don't, you know, you don't, straighten your life out and then get saved then you go oh i'm saved no you get saved first and your walk with god helps you straighten your life out i will say this and i don't know why <laughs> no I'll, I'll say this where this is where me and you disagree just a little bit because i i really don't believe at all that once you're saved you're always saved i don't believe that because the only unforgivable sin is rejecting the holy spirit so if i say if i go through the whole thing and i'm saved and then something traumatic happens in my life, and I swear off God, I don't want to do with it. Well, guess what? You revoke the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, that's different. I'm not, I'm no, not no, saying. That's, once saved, always saved is different. And you can't use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can't say, well, I, I believed on Sunday back here, then I'm going to go and live however I want. You can't do that. Well, see, to my, my expect on that is then you wasn't truly saved that one time i can see that that makes i see what you're saying but you, you, have you to. thought you said the words but you didn't really mean it you know i got saved at 10 or i walked up you know got baptized and all that at 10 years old but not until a few years ago have i really started truly trying to do the right thing and have a walk with god you know, was I saved then? If I died in Iraq, would I went to heaven? I don't know. I mean, I've always went to church. I always knew what the right thing was. I never worshipped another god or, or, you know, was, you know, blaspheming god. You know, god ain't real or whatever. Like, say, atheist would do or whatnot. I always believed, but I never truly wanted to have that walk. Because I want to do my own thing, frankly. You know, I'm, all three of us has been there. Oh, yeah. So, but the thing, you know, it's one of them. The church was church. My life was my life. It right. Was separate. Right. You it go to church separate. on Sunday, mm -hmm. and then you partied. And did whatever you wanted. And you might have, I might have come to church a couple times hungover. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe still drunk. <laughs> but but I, I think it's the... Like I said, it's it's where your it's truly where your heart is, you know. If you if you can just reject reject God because say your child died, then were you really saved? Because but but it's I have a weird way of thinking that you know, I'm kind of like King David there. He's dead. Well, my why would I mourn my child who's possibly in heaven? Not possible. Or, or my wife. Not possible. Well, I'm just they saying. Are in heaven. Well, I'm just saying. My, I'd say mourn them my if boys, they weren't. <laughs> say my boy's 12, you know. Or 
my wife died in a car wreck. Mm -hmm. If I know she's in heaven, why would I want her back on earth when heaven's so much better? Yeah. So well, I'm gonna have to we write. We have selfish tendencies. That is selfish, right. but you're right. And that's that's but human I love my nature. grandma to death. You know, I mean, she's one that was instrumental in my faith, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt when she was gone where she was at. And right. She wouldn't come back. You still for missed all her, the amount in the world. Well, but I mean, it's like God, you took her from me. Yeah. You know what I mean, of I understand I missing back, them. You know, but but being selfish and wishing, you know, oh God, I'd do anything if Mom could be back or or my wife could be back. Like, why would you want to wish that if you know they're in it? Now, if they're in hell, you know, well, you could wish that all day long. That's the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. really. I mean, that's what that, that portrays. Let right. me go back and warn them. Yeah. But this is real. You're right. And that's the thing. When you know someone's in heaven, it is extremely selfish to say you'd love to yeah. have them back. I mean, I understand missing them. Obviously, yeah. we're going to miss them. You know, I'm sure you miss your dad all the time. All the time. I mean, I miss him. <laughs> the interview we did was awesome. Yeah. And and it would have been great if we could have had more. But it's, it's you know, missing them's one thing. Being selfish, wishing, wishing them back was is different. 100% agree. But that was a yeah. sidebar. And that's the main reason, too, you see so many people seeking you know, mediums and, and all this stuff because it's people that, you know, I ain't going to say all, but, you know, there's a, a big percentage of them that just still in mourning, missing their family members, wanting to talk to them one more time, you know, and, and things like that. But it's just. Well, Samuel. Yeah. The Ove Endor, when Saul went to the Ove Endor, it's the same thing. God wouldn't talk to him, so he wanted to talk to Samuel again. So he uses one of those people that goes and, and draws up from a non from the way that God says not to. God strictly forbids against this right. stuff to the point where Saul himself had outlawed all that. And we'll get into that stuff a bunch more in the upcoming right. the upcoming show. And just a more, just to plug it. But that's the that's the truth. That, yeah. Well, I mean, if if it wasn't possible, he wouldn't have said it that he'd done it in the Bible. Or it wouldn't have told you not to. Or yeah, or told us well, not I'll tell to. Tell you not to do something if it's not possible. Exactly. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to insure your home and auto with the Better Insurance Agency. So even if you don't know your tabernacle from your tallest, we will still help you shop through multiple insurance companies to find the right coverage and low price. Whether it is home or auto, life insurance, or insurance for your small business, the Better Insurance Agency will be there to help. After all. A better future is built on a firm foundation. Find out more and visit us at www.thebetterquote.com today. Available only in Virginia and Tennessee. Because I know there's some naysayers that's, well, did that really what happen or whatever? But, yeah. All right. So jumping a little further forward now. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, our faith as a child, things of that nature, and, and, and how... Um, you know, important it is for us to try to revert back to that. But let's think about our kids, right? Let's think about that, that veil from their point of view. Do you remember the first year or two of your life? Not right now. What's the first memory you have? Probably maybe three or four, honestly. I think I was probably four. 
I, I can't remember yesterday. I, I remember <laughs> living in a house that I was, I remember my bedroom and that, it's like a snapshot in my mind. That's the only thing I remember is a snapshot of this one room I stayed in when I was four before we moved to Montana. That's the, the last thing or the first thing I should say I can remember. I so, guess four or five. Yeah. So think about that first three ish years of your life. I'd say most people that I've talked to would say that it was, there were four or five that they remember back. There's some people that say they think they can think back further, and maybe they can. I don't know. But we really don't remember those first few years of life. I wonder if there's a reason for that. You think when a child's born, when you have, you know, your son, you know, when you have both your sons and, and you know, you sit there and, and, you know, I remember my son Jackson, and we lived in a house in Indian Rocks Beach, Florida. And our house was like a big circle, basically, where you could go through. And we had the bedroom lights and all that stuff off on the backside. And there might be one lamp on out in the living room. But in the bedroom, it would be pitch black. But it was a big circle you could run around. And when he got to be about, he's like 12 months old, and he was running by that time, maybe 12, 14 months old, whatever it was, he was running all over the place. And he'd run in circles, and we would play this, like, almost like a hide-and-seek, you know, peekaboo kind of game where he'd run through it. He had no fear. Run right through the darkness, run right wherever, run in, hide in a pitch-black closet, jump out at me, scare me to death. But, I, but you know, he's sitting there laughing. He'd never think twice about it. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get to maybe around two years old, all of a sudden kids want nightlights. Kids are scared of the dark. Kids want to sleep in your bed. They want to sleep in your room because they're scared. Where's that fear come from? Why is that fear showing up? It's not there. I mean, wh- who is? You didn't teach them to be you, scared. You didn't teach them to be scared, and their impression, like their, the way they're being raised, is coming from you at that point in their life. Later on, they have friends and different things that have influences on them. It's like a flip of a switch. It is, and there's something that happens. And I, I believe that at some point. Because these kids do not have that volitional sin at that age. They have not been as separated from that spiritual realm, from God, from angels, from demons, from all that spiritual realm. That they have not been separated from that. Which is one of the reasons God says that we need to be like his children. And another reason why I think we don't think we can't remember back that far. But when you go through and you see these kids all of a sudden ha- start having these fears that they wake up and they, where do you think these ideas of a boogeyman under the bed came from? Oh, there's someone in my closet. I'm sorry. To me, I used to just, like, what? You're just making stuff up. Come on. What if they're not making stuff up? What if they're able to see things we can't see? Because they don't have less volitional sin. They're closer to God. They're closer to that spiritual realm not just god but that spiritual realm because eve could see satan just as well as she could see god right they're closer to that spiritual realm they can see those things and this is why we have some of that memory repression or however you want to say it from when we're younger because we couldn't handle those things or we're not supposed to remember those things it's a it's a terrifying thought to think that if your kid says they saw something they were scared of, that they may have actually seen it. I mean, there's people, you can think, I've, I've, and I'd love to talk to him sometime. There's a guy, um, I listened to him once, called Micah Turnbow. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. 
but he he's a seer he claims to be a seer where he sees angels and stuff he says as a kid he could see he was in church and he thought that the gigantic angels standing in the back they were just part of the show up until he was three or four years old his parents said he'd say that all the time there was angels there there's angels singing and he said when his when he started getting older his parents started looking at him funny like okay you, sh- you should be past this stage he says he still sees angels and, and and demons everything to this day and i some people that maybe that's his spiritual gift i don't know but i believe personally that that's really the only explanation for children at that age to have that kind of insight that kind of that kind of sight into that spiritual realm and will you talk about you know basically like your memory being wiped clean or not remembering these things i mean this is scientifically you know proven it's been studied you know my wife was a you know child psychiatrist you know during stages of trauma there's things that's called fracturing and this is where you get people that that are abused you know when they're really young and through you know therapy or or something that happens that triggers the memory just all of a sudden all the the memories and stuff flood back or even when you get to uh, multiple personality disorders there's a it all stems back from a trauma and basically the the way she explained it to me because she's been to school for all this stuff that your body is made and you're in your mind as a you know a survival mechanism so when a child let's say a child's three four years old and goes through sexual abuse the brain fractures and splits and a different persona takes the abuse for you so you don't have to remember it and then that's where a lot of these people have multiple and split personalities is because there's been some kind of you know traumatic event and there's been a fracturing or a split of the personality in the mind and those personalities absorb and take all that uh, those bad memories so you don't have to it's it's pretty wild stuff when you when you look into all that well it's the same thing and i don't know if it's fracturing for say but there's like me and some of my army buddies get talking i don't remember half the stuff that happened when we were deployed and even they be like oh yeah you were there you did this and this and even them telling me, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember that at all. And, I mean, and then, like, the whole watching Insidious, it was it was obviously nighttime. It was dark. And even out there on patrol, when it was dark, it, it had a different kind of creep feel to it in certain places. So, that goes back to the whole scared of the dark kind of thing and i think when that you know possibly darker in the nights when was it book called oh they only come out at night yeah i think i think they're more active possibly you know because you're and it i would say it's where you're not as alert as you would be with when the sun's shining you're not as i think we'll get into that okay well, we'll get in. Not today. A peak, but we'll a, get a into sneak that. peak. 
Sneak. Ooh, I yeah. like it. A sneak peek. Well, I'll throw this out before you continue because this is about the only thing that I had uh, in preparation for this was with the childlike faith was how many of you guys or had or remember imaginary friends? I don't think I ever had any. I had a pet water bug. That was all I remember. I don't remember. But I know. But my mother tells me all the time that, I, yeah, you had imaginary friends. We had to set out food for it and everything. And looking back, it's like, you know, this this is another thing that's been scientifically researched and examined. Did you know that 65% of children up to the age of seven had imaginary friends at one point or time? And then you mentioned Matthew 18, you know, talks about, you know, we need to revert to a childlike, you know, faith and belief. You know, so then I got to thinking, I was like, well, are these imaginary friends, angels, entities, or, or guardian angels, you know? And when I use the word entities, that's just a, a blanket statement for good, bad, whatever. Just, you know, something not of this realm or on this side of the veil. Uh well, I was looking, there was a couple of books, which I haven't read them, but I just was looking at little snippets from it that I'd found online. One was The Spiritual Life of Children uh, by Robert Codes. Uh, he was a child uh, psychiatrist, and he talks about from the child's point of view and their stories of these, you know, imaginary friends and supernatural experiences that they remembered having. And another one was The Spiritual Child by Lisa Miller, and she's a, another doctor. But there's a connection, or a quote from her book here. Uh, we are hardwired for a spiritual connection. And in there she said, babies come into this world with an intact spiritual atonement that is designed by nature to prepare them for future development. And they are naturally connected to the transcendent, to nature, ritual, symbolism, dreams, empathy, and mystical experiences. And she uh, cited a, a particular instance where her 16th month uh, old son came out and looked up at the stars and said, thank you, God. And she was talking about all these examples of that and how that basically just over time that we, you know, lose that, whether it's from desensitization through culture or sin but that's not all i mean there's there's some people that are just more spiritually sensitive and we've talked about it in episodes like with with my wife you know she can just walk in a a house or a store and if there's you know pagan you know ungodly stuff or she can just feel it i mean it affects her physically so i mean there's just some people are more spiritually sensitive and i guess hold on to that I think that, well, that this is going to play a little bit into what you just said, which is it was a good segue, but I wanted to look at the other side of this now is the other way that we can look at why does God want us to have the faith of a child? You know, what what is the, besides having that that closure of the veil where we're, we don't have that same separation, we have to think about the, first of all, a child's faith is unquestioning. Right. You know, you tell your son that the that the moon is made of Swiss cheese. He's like, well, that's awesome. You know, they, they don't think twice about it. Right. That's just automatic. So or, you know, think about they have the faith in in what in you're going to tell them is true. Well, think think about, about the lies. well, think about Santa Claus. 
Yeah. They, they think this fat guy comes down a chimney at night. Actually, I had to tell my son. I told him about Santa Claus. He's a kid. He started crying. He's like, "There's me. There's a fat guy gonna come in our house at night." Like I had to tell. Nope. <laughs> nope. Never mind. We don't do that. I'm just so we we've never really had Santa Claus in our house. And uh, you know the sorry kids the, for listening. Yeah. He ain't real. My wife spoiled just, all of them at once. The kids started getting curious. And I, you know, my daughter is about two years older than my son, so there's just a little bit of separation there. But she done knew before him, and he was starting to figure out, you know, slowly after her. And they were asking questions, and I'll never forget it. We was riding down the road, and Jackson just kept asking, kept asking. You know, the wife, she just looks at me, and I was just nodding like, yeah, just go ahead, you know. And she said, yeah, guys, you're right, you know. And, and then he's like, I knew it, I knew it, you know, years ago and all this stuff. And then Rebecca says, yeah, I'll never forget when I first found out, she said. And then I found out about the tooth fairy not being real and the Easter bunny. And she said, just, you know, it was a shock. And then all of a sudden, like, his all, like, yeah, I knew it face just, like, melted. Like, like a shock. All of them? <laughs> and he Whoa! looked at her and he says, the tooth fairy's not real neither? And then Rebecca just slaps her head. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> He found about everything all at well, once. Well, see, my thing was, I, you know, which you, you grow out of it. You start kind of, uh, kids at school stalking. Well, the Easter Bunny brought jelly beans in Ziploc bags. And I was like, no. Nope. Easter Bunny went to put them in Ziploc bags. So I went to mom, and she's like, yeah, no. But if you play along... I'll let you put out the stuff. So until my sister found out, I got to play the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, or which I didn't do the Tooth Fairy thing, obviously. But so that was like my little treat of keeping your mouth shut. Yeah, That's you can cool. put her toys out if you keep your mouth shut. That's cool. Well, going a little further on that, you know why? Why do kids, you know, blindly? you know, uh, uh, go along with these things. They blindly believe you. And, you know, this actually took me down a different rabbit hole is they aren't subject to reason. You know, the same way as we get older, all of a sudden we, we have start to work. Well, that doesn't out. make sense. Yeah. That you start working happen. it out in your head. Go back to the founding fathers episode, the age of reason, the goddess of reason. And we talk about how we, look through the the that hourglass or i'm sorry that that eyeglass of reason where we say well this doesn't add up so it can't happen to the point where thomas jefferson makes his own bible and takes all the, the supernatural stuff out of it if we are too subject to reason then things just don't add up for us and that's where a lot of atheists live that's where a lot of people, you know, evolutionists want to live there because they, they want to find a reason for everything. They can't put God in a box and they can't package it up with a bow where if you talk to your kids early, young, get their faith strong as you're supposed to, they'll keep that faith, which is what we talked about, how Jesus said, do not lead them astray. Don't let them sin. Don't lead them into sin. So I think that's just really important to see that. They don't have that reason that uh, reason that is what, you know, we can use reason as a good thing. You know, ah, you know what? It, a stove is hot, so I shouldn't touch it. But at the same time, when we start talking about our faith and trying to use reason 
for how God works or what God does in our lives, then all of a sudden that's going to take us down a dark hole. Well, if it's, I can't remember who said it, but it's like if you can put God in a box, then he's really not God. If you can explain everything about him. You just had that guy on the show last week. Well, yeah, I'm Again, just saying. He yeah. said, you know, talking about. Uh, it's that, somebody that else, too, though. That's, yeah. Outside of. Space, or, yeah, space, time, and matter. He said, the problem is, matter. is you assume a limited God. He said, the God I serve, he says, outside of all time, space, and matter. One of my favorite things he said, it's not an argument. I'm right, they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. He, There's no controversy. He, he yeah, was hilarious. So, he was he had me laughing quite a bit. Yeah, during he like, was I like hilarious. him a lot, man. But there's some people he's just he's not their flavor. I, well, they just have well some people humor. can't. Yeah, guess well, and I'm sure we're not some people's flavor. So exactly. it's just one of those things where you know, as, as long, long as you're, as you're eating reaching, ice cream, don't matter what the flavor is. As long as you're eating, as long as you're taking a bite of Christ, you know, as long as the, your flavor is your flavor. So going a little further down this road. And kind of how I want to sum this up because it'll kind of cannibalistic. Don't don't eat Christ. Well, communion. Symbolic. This is yeah, symbolic. This is body. This is blood. You know. But going a little further down this road about that um, that relationship that that um, where we don't have that volitional sin. We I want to look at how over history that changed. If we look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked with God. They were like, I mean, I don't want to devalue what God is, but they were like buddies. They'd walk in the garden together. I mean, that's a pretty amazing to think they had that relationship with God. If you go a little further, Cain and Abel, you know, God comes to Cain after he kills Abel. Cain is not surprised that God's talking to him. He's like, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Like, yeah, you're going to well, back talk God? Yeah. Like, I don't know where he is. Yeah, Come on, man. Exactly. And then we go a little further. We look at like maybe when, uh, you know, the angels are coming into Sodom to Lot's house. And Lot says, or Lot sees him and he drops down and and bows down to those angels. And, and so he, but he's not terrified yet. He bows down. Then we go a little further to think of, and that's, uh, go to Balaam in Numbers 22 and you think of Balaam sitting there beating his donkey and his donkey won't move right and, his, and, he, and he keeps trying to he beats this donkey trying to get it to move and the donkey won't move because it sees an angel with its sword drawn in the middle of the road the veil is lifted from Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel and he falls down on his knees hands and knees he's, he's scared we get to Mary the mother of Jesus, the one who God finds favor in, angel shows up to her, and what's the first thing the angel says? Do not be afraid. Fear not. Exactly. And if we go through after this, we see that. Shout out to Chad. <laughs> we, go, <laughs> we go out later, and we see that pretty much every time an angel shows up after that period, everybody falls down, they're terrified. And, and and the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Think about the shepherds after, you know, when Jesus is born. The shepherds show up, do not be afraid. You know, we bring uh, good tidings of great joy. And all these things you see, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. 
Why are people afraid? Adam and Eve were walking with God. Now we're at a point where we're terrified every time we see an angel. The separation, the, the sin, the volitional sin, even generational volitional sin has separated us so much from God. We are so separated and we'll get to a point where we start diving into this a little more about the, the veil of the temple and things, which we'll get on to next time. And that'll be kind of a part two. But Justin had just brought up another really good point that we'll finish on here. Oh, just while he was sitting there talking, you know, talk about, you know, Adam and Eve walked with God. So there we communed with the Elohim. There was no veil, obviously. So they bit into the apple. And what does it say? It says that their eyes were opened. So when they're cast out of the garden, it says that, you know, he placed a, a cherubim in the east with a flaming sword that went this way and that. And as you were saying that, that that's when the, the divide happened. That's when the, the veil, you know, metaphorically speaking here, dropped down. And the only time we ever get access to these entities is when we are in a pure state, like you said, without that big B word, sin, volitional. Volitional. Volition, sin. Or when they choose to reveal themselves to you. So then it, can, it just kind of hit me. I was like, ah, is the flaming sword the veil? You know, I, just a postulation here, but it just kind of come to me as we were sitting here talking. I had to write it down on a piece of paper and show everybody. That's what that weird, awkward silence was. <laughs> but it's an interesting I mean, I mean it makes thought. sense. A flaming sword, may, you know, you wouldn't be able to pass. And if the veil, you're not being able to visually... Or physically pass. And like I, I can see how that was like would. a plasma shield. Yeah, you know how he thought. So I think the best way, and agreeing with you, going along because I think that's a really cool idea. But agreeing with you, I think the best way to look at the veil from this point is God can pierce the veil whenever He wants to. But initially, the veil, or lack thereof, was a two-way street. Now we don't have the ability unless we do those things that God strictly uh, tells us not to do in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Trying to enter into the the back door. Enter the back door. And actually there's, and that, oh, I'll have to pull that verse up. So that brings up a verse here that, as you guys were kind of alluding to, but in John 10, verse 1, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than go- going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So think about that. It doesn't say right there that you can't. It, it, says, that, it says that you're a thief and a robber if you do. That's a little scary when you look at it. You think about the Tower of Babel or these other things where they're trying to reach that heavenly plane. They're trying to get in the back door, just like you were saying. So I think that that's kind of interesting. You just see that verse. He's saying those people are, are um, you know, a thief and a robber. So, But I guess to sum it up, uh, that's kind of the first look. We're looking at it through the eyes of a child, through the faith of a child. I think that um, 
that's a that's kind of one side of the veil and we're going to keep looking into this as we go over the next couple of weeks you guys have anything else you want to input there at the end here have faith like a child and don't be a crybaby thanks for listening to the dig bible podcast the place where you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole you gotta dig be sure to check us out on youtube instagram facebook be sure to like comment share and subscribe keep digging